I would say that don't put your toes in the water of sobriety. The one thing that I know about myself and other addicts and alcoholics or anybody with any addiction that I've ever gotten to know, they all have this common trait, which is doing things and not finishing them. So when we make a commitment for sobriety, it's a way of life. It's kind of like a diet or it's exercise. It's not a one-day thing. It's not a month thing. It's a lifetime thing. And so making the commitment that this is a lifetime journey that's going to get beautiful beyond your wildest imagination and jumping all in, not putting the toes in, doing the steps, all the difficult work, making the amends to people, increasing your network of sobriety, changing things, people, places, and things. And that, that means sometimes you have to leave friends that you love for your own good. That was Mark Rickard, and this is The Share Podcast. It's time for The Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Share Podcast. And today we have my good friend, Mark Rickard, joining us on the show. Mark is the podcast host for Soaring in Sobriety, and he is also a real estate agent with Keller Williams. And his podcast, Soaring in Sobriety, not only discusses the stories of addiction and recovery, but he also touches on the entrepreneurial spirit, owning your own business, being hyper successful in recovery. Rick has over 16 years clean and sober and has been crushing it in the real estate market for many years. But that's his story today. Mark's story is dark and he takes us into places that are so horrifying that like many of us, the thought of suicide seems like our only option. Mark's story is absolutely heartbreaking and unbelievably inspirational all at the same time. You're absolutely going to love this episode. So join us now as Mark takes us through this roller coaster ride and sends us soaring into sobriety. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Organifi is an organic superfood supplement that takes 30 seconds to make with no blending, no juicing, and no cleanup. Organifi is a coconut and ashwagandha-infused green juice that is gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, vegan, and absolutely delicious. My wife and I drink it every single day. We absolutely love it. We've noticed a significant difference in reduced stress, in improved digestion, improved mental clarity, and it boosts our energy levels. So not only is it organic and upgraded with 11 superfoods, if you order now, you're going to get 20% off your order by using promo code SHARE, S-H-A-I-R. So go to the Organifi website, www.organifi.com. Organifi is spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. And make sure to put in your promo code SHARE, S-H-A-I-R, and get 20% off your order today. Okay, and if you're wondering what is the best way to support the show, well, one of the best ways to help support the Share Podcast is to subscribe to the Share Podcast on your mobile device. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, whether you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, when you load up the Share Podcast, please press subscribe. It is the best way for us to rank on iTunes and for people who are looking for recovery 
to easily find the show. And while you're there, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review so that I can read it on the next episode of the Share Podcast. And speaking of amazing reviews, we have a brand new iTunes review from, from NP Lola Bear. And the title is Listen Nightly. Thank you for this amazing podcast. I have been sober for 100 days and I'm currently in an IOP. I listen to your podcast every night looking to identify with those who are similar to me. I'm a mom, a professional, and an addict. I love the success stories and cannot get enough of the advice from your guests as well as yourself on how to live the program. Thank you. Well, NP Lola Bear, thank you so much for that review. It is such an unbelievable honor and a privilege to be of service and to be able to inspire these amazing reviews. I'm so grateful for all of our listeners. So again, thank you for that beautiful post. And the other way to help support the Share Podcast is through your donations. Now, more recently, my sponsor suggested that for the spirit of transparency, that I should list what my donations were going towards. And I have also received an email from one of our members who has also generously donated to the Share Podcast that I put up a Patreon page that lists our monthly financial goals. So now you can donate to the Share Podcast via Patreon and via PayPal. And what those donations will be going towards are audio production and editing, audio transcription, social media image designs, social media management and marketing, show notes, website media hosting, podcast media hosting, and our email hosting service. This is what our financial obligations are currently, and I've also listed those production costs on the Patreon page and in our donate page on the Share Podcast, again in the spirit of transparency. All the money that you donate to the Share Podcast will go to produce and grow the show. And once we reach those goals and are able to manage our current production needs completely through those contributions, then that will open up time to start to discuss additional offerings such as more episodes, t-shirts, hats, and things of that nature. So again, if you have the wherewithal to donate to the Share Podcast and would like to donate via PayPal or Patreon, then go to the Share Podcast website, www.thesharepodcast.com. Click on the Donate button on the top right-hand corner of the page or click on any of the PayPal or Patreon buttons throughout the website and make your donation to the Share Podcast today. Also, as a reminder, I am now a 12 Steps Addictions Counselor at Costa Rica Recovery here in Costa Rica. They have over 11 years as an inpatient drug and alcohol treatment facility. Their 30, 60, and 90-day programs are one of the most affordable treatment plans available for inpatient treatment. So if you or someone you know has a problem with drugs and alcohol and are considering going to an inpatient addiction treatment center, then email me at o at thesharepodcast.com to see if Costa Rica Recovery is the right fit for you. And you can also go to the website, www.costaricarecovery.net, which also features all the prices and services that we offer. And finally, if you have not joined the Share Podcast private Facebook group that has now 
3,100 addicts and alcoholics that are supportive, loving, nurturing, caring, compassionate. This is a place where you can share about what's going on openly and honestly in your life and immediately get help and suggestions from the other members. So it's a place where you can get help and you can also help others. You can be of service whether you have one day, one year, or 10 years. It doesn't matter. The Share Facebook private group is a safe place to discuss recovery of any kind. So if you're not comfortable with going to meetings or you haven't quite figured out which recovery program you want to go to, but you know you have a problem with drugs and alcohol and you need a solid support group, then go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R private group, and the Share Podcast private group will pop right up. Click on the join button and join us today. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, oh, thanks for having me, man. It's great to have you on the show, buddy. How you feeling? Dude, I am super stoked to be on your show because I love your show. <laughs> Dude, that's one of the best responses yet. I love it. I can't wait to air this. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. All right, so we're off to a good start. So, folks, today we have Mark Rickert joining us on the Share Podcast. Mark comes from a very chaotic childhood growing up. His mother and father were divorced when he was just three years old. He grew up with a single mother, older sister, younger brother. Mom was a good person, but irresponsible and abandoned them regularly. It was this dysfunctional beginning that would open the doorway to drug abuse. But today, Mark is launching a new podcast called Soaring in Sobriety, where the discussions revolve around how to move past the wreckage of our pasts in order to become the person we always knew we were capable of becoming. Sound about right, Mark? You hit it right on the nail. <laughs> All right. Excellent. So before we dump, jump into the podcast, let's talk a little bit about what your normal daily routine looks like, including recovery. Well, I get up about 5.36 o'clock in the morning, oh, and my first, uh, my first thought is generally I try to bring some gratitude into my life right away. And uh, coffee, of course, is the first thing. My wife, she brings up coffee to us. Nice. And um, yeah, she's awesome. I mean, I, I, I truly gratitude for that. And I just have the coffee, um, do a little bit of reading, not every single day, but a lot of the days, you know, 24 hours uh, as Bill sees it, things like that. And I get my day, um, I get my day going that way. Uh, then I hop in the shower and I'm always listening to a podcast, yeah, <laughs> yours, or if it's not yours, it's a, a business podcast, real estate, um, and it gets me charged up in the morning, a lot of motivational stuff. So I'm, I come out of the shower, man, I'm like freaking ready to tackle the world. Okay, excellent. All right, and how do you squeeze your recovery routine into your schedule? Well, I, a lot of, I, I generally do about a meeting or two a week, um, and more on probably once a week. Uh, Monday nights is my kind of my meeting night. So okay. 
Um, for me right now at, at this phase of my life, that seems to be enough. And I don't like, I don't make it every week, but I, I try my best to do at least a meeting a week. All right. Beautiful. Now tell us a little bit about, I know you've got a morning routine. Um, I always like to ask this question specifically though. How do you maintain your spiritual condition, that conscious contact with your higher power? Well, I pray and, um, I have a, a unique relationship with my higher power, and I choose to call God. Uh, some days it's great, and some days it's not. But I think that through the day, um, always practicing the gratitude and saying thank you and really looking at the blessings that I have in my life. So I don't really look at just my morning about you know pray, praying or meditating um, I heard somewhere today, it was, uh, uh, I don't know if you heard meds, it's a uh, meditate exercise. What's the D? The I'm D sure it's is diet. Yeah, diet, diet. Okay. And then sleep. And those, the, all those things are really important. And so without really knowing it, I've, I try to practice those in my life. But uh, the spirituality, you know, there are times when I'm just, you know, really all for it and other times when I'm. Uh, not feeling too spiritual, and I really have to focus and go go to meetings and and start reading more and things like that. Well, that certainly does make a big difference when you're trying to connect. Um, going to a meeting is easy; you just bring the body, the mind follows, and then before you know it, you're plugged in. Um, and then, of course, the readings. The readings always help you kind of ground yourself and and also reconnect you uh, to spirit. Um, and it's, I, I think it's crucial. It's why I asked the question. You know, I, I, I love knowing what people's daily spiritual routine looks like as, as along with their other daily routines. Yeah, I wish I could say it was a little bit more organized. It's not so uh, formalized, but it's definitely a very important part of my morning and my day. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, so um, tell us a little bit about what you do for a living. I own a real estate company with my wife. We... Uh, uh, it's called Rickert Property Group, and we basically are brokers with Keller Williams Realty. So we have a small team within Keller Williams Realty in Albuquerque. Realty, I was corrected recently. It's not Realty, it's Realty. <laughs> <laughs> got a phone call. We run some We run some radio ads, and I got a call from someone. They said, um, just wanted to let you know it's not Realty, it's Realty. <laughs> thanks, a, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we love we love helping people buy, sell, and invest in real estate, and help people get rich in real estate. Oh, I love it! I love it. I mean, we'll have to talk after the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, do you know Jeff Woods? I do not. Jeff Woods uh, is the uh, spokesperson for the One Thing. It's a it's a oh. book called the the mm-hmm. one thing and sure. and uh, who's who's the founders of Keller Williams the two yeah the, the that's two. Gary Keller man yes. Gary Keller is a, is the bomb yes so Gary Keller the author and then who's the other one uh, Jay Papazan there you go so he there they wrote the book um, the one thing right that's a uh, great book it, it is it is um, I haven't I haven't finished it and and I uh, as a matter of fact I, I downloaded the podcast. For Jeff Woods, who they brought, who they brought on to handle uh, promoting the um, time blocking. Uh, yes, very, very. Uh, the great thing about Gary Keller, what I love about him, and he systematized 
the business. I mean, there's a story about him years ago going into real estate and he was driving a Volkswagen bug and in college, I probably have it wrong, but his roommate said, Hey, it wasn't going too well. And his roommates said, do you really want to do this real estate thing? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I do. And he kept going and he's built an international, one of the world's, if not the, I think it's the world's largest by agent count, uh, brokerage in the entire globe. Well, according to Jeff Woods, it is. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> it I, is. I believe it, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's a trip, man. I was just, I was, and it's been recent. It was recent because, like we were talking about, listening to all these podcasts. I was just listening to a podcast from a guy that I was recently introduced to, and he interviewed uh, Jeff Woods. And I remember the title of the episode was The One Thing. And I know that for me, for right now in my life, that's what I need to focus on because there's so much stuff going on in my life that, right. you know, that hyper focus that I, I, I knew I needed it. Right. And it, uh, it was, it was very impactful, very impactful. So that's a great, that's great. Great book. Yeah. Um, we, my wife says that I'm, I, I love to chase squirrels because they pop up everywhere and I just go running out. Oh, there's something shiny over there. Let's do that. Oh, let's do this. <laughs> we're cut from the same cloth my brother yes sir <laughs> all right so not to see this is not an sorry guys this is not an entrepreneur podcast so we're getting back on back on track i'll talk to uh mark after <laughs> so about the real estate um but tell us uh, mark how much clean time do you have and when is your anniversary date let's see uh, I usually I like to say through the program and fellowship of AA and NA, I haven't found it necessary to take a drink or drug one day at a time for 5,815 days or 15.92 years. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true businessman. <laughs> yes. And my, uh, my, uh, anniversary my birthday uh is august 11th 2001 well that's fantastic brother so you're you're coming up on 16 years that is wonderful wonderful um so tell us a little bit about what it was like real quick before we dive into your story how old you were the first time you drank or used drugs and more importantly how did you feel in that moment i remember it vividly i don't remember a lot of things vividly but those particular memories I do. The, the first time I used drugs was uh, I smoked some pot and it was like fifth grade. And uh, I remember coming into class and the teacher said something like, where, where were you? And, you know, I was all just buzzed. And um, I said something like, no, who cares? And the, the class just roared laughing. I remember hmm, that's pretty cool feeling, man. I got everybody laughing here. I'm high as a kite, loving it. Um, so that was my first time with a, you know, uh, something that would change the way I felt. As far as drinking goes, I was nine and I was at my uh, aunt's house and they had uh, whiskey on the counter. And so looked pretty good to me. So I took a a, a pretty, you know, at nine, you know, we already know we're we're in trouble because I didn't take just a little. It's like, let me just, I'm going to down some of this stuff. It must be good. And sure enough, uh, I drank to blackout and got sick all over the place that first time. At nine? At nine. And it must have tasted horrible. I don't know. 
Oh, but wow. All I can say is some of us are sicker than others. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. That's it. You're all warmed up. <laughs> it's time for me to turn the show over to you, Mark. It's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life, when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Mark, take it away. Thank you. Thanks again. And, you know, why we laugh. I, I can laugh at things now, but I certainly don't think that it's funny at all because a lot of what we all go through um, is pretty horrific, actually, when we when we put it out there. But we're, we're all we all have black humor. So we can we, we kind of get we know what we're what we're laughing about. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I you know, like I said, the, the drinking started pretty early and being the fact that, you know, I, I was in juvenile hall also at age nine and, and I, that's what started things. I, I was in trouble and, um, really just misbehaving, doing a lot of pretty bad things and, and got into drinking and it made me feel good. So I got sent to a children's home when I was 10 and there was, there were other substances to get high on there too, as well as drinking. But those were the early days of my drinking and on and off it continued and got worse, um, through my teenage years. You know, I went to a foster home, um, after I spent three years at this children's center, um, uh, and the foster, the foster people and the foster parents, I should say, were pretty loose at the time. This was in the seventies. Okay. And so, you know, they let me smoke. They were, uh, you know, I was drinking. I was doing acid and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Anything, you know, I was the kind of guy like at a party or you're my friend, you give me something, I take it. And I ask after, what was that? Right. <laughs> yes. Been there. Yes. Um, so, you know, it was fun. It was partying. I, I didn't think I really had a problem just like the party, man. I'm just a party guy. I'm not a, I'm not a smart guy. I'm just a party guy. And so that went on through high school. Uh, I'm sorry, through yeah, ninth grade is when things really took kind of a turn where I, um, my mother passed away from cancer when I was 15. So the way I looked at things at that time, oh, was, uh, I had a broken home. Uh, I, my mother abandoned us pretty much whenever she could. She was just n not there. She would leave for days and we had no idea where she was. No food, you know. Um, so then I get in juvenile hall. I get in a children's center for three years for screwed up kids. I get released, go back to San Francisco, get back in juvenile hall, get placed in a foster home. And my mom dies. I'm just going like, since this is a family show, I don't want to say the, the words, but you know what I'm this thinking. It's not a family show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Open it's, up. It's this stuff, pretty much, you know. Um, life sucks. Like, fuck this shit. Pretty much, I'm out of here. So I, I attempted suicide when I was 15. What happened to your mother? She, she was diagnosed with cancer at age 36, and they gave her a year to live, and um, she lasted about two weeks. So that was devastating for me. And my father, I hadn't seen my father since on, you know, maybe here and there, but for the most part from age three on. And um, the foster parents were afraid because I tried to commit suicide. And so they got in touch with the state of California. They said, man, we, we got to get this guy out of here. You know, they had a little baby. 
you know, it was a bad situation. They're, they're super sweet people. And I'm still in contact with my foster father, but because I appreciate them. But the thing is that uh, I had an opportunity, one of those forks in our road. I went yeah. to move to, to Florida my, where I got to live with my father. And, you know, for the first time, I, like nobody knew me in Florida. So I went from drug guy, drinker guy in high school to I want to do well in school and apply myself. I got into sports, studying. It was a great private school. And um, little did I know my my dad was trying to get rid of me to send me off to a boarding school. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. No, it it really wasn't. No, I'd say that kind of in jest. It really wasn't that. But think about this. I mean, here comes this guy who's like 15 with hair down to his shoulders to Florida, to a conservative family. I had a brother and sister I'd never met. My stepmother sees this guy show up and she opens my suitcase. I had a, a fifth of Bacardi, oh. part of smokes and patchouli oil. <laughs> what was it? Patchouli oil, you what know, to cover the scent of, uh, of marijuana. Oh, <laughs> see, I, I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> awesome. so I, I think she probably kind of suggested to my father that maybe it's better he gets you know gets put somewhere where they can you know keep an eye on him more right which turned out to be a great thing you know it was a, a good school so anyway I I went through high school I did excel and I was really for the first time I was feeling good and senior year comes around and uh, I joined the Navy before I graduated from high school. And I met this lady on a bus and she had a fifth of booze of some kind. I thought, geez, what if I brought that to school, man? I'd be the hero, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I brought to school. Anyway, we're all drinking and partying and I got busted. So, um, you know, got in pretty big trouble. So I I tell those, those are kind of seem like meaningless stories to some extent, but it's just a little pattern of already the wreckage because I, I was voted all conference in basketball and won a bunch of, you know, awards and things. And they took all that away. So that was kind of one of my first, I didn't realize at the time what that was, but it was some wreckage already starting. And consequences. Uh, What's that? And consequences. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, graduate from high school, went into the Navy and, oh, I, I can't tell you how lonely I was in the Navy. Um, that's really where things started getting crazy. Where am I drinking? You know, I was on a ship for part of the year, mm-hmm. but when we weren't on, when we went out to sea, you know, I drank like crazy and did drugs. I mean, and dereliction of duty. I didn't show up for watches on, at times. And just fortunately, the guys liked me and they kept me out of trouble because I could have been easily kicked out of the Navy. Yep. But got out of the Navy, honorably discharged, and um, enjoyed my time in the Navy, and then bounced around San Francisco, where I promptly got into cocaine and, and selling it. And, you know, I was a big cheese trying to be a dealer type wow. guy. <laughs> Just jump right in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, people, there's something about uh, if you're selling drugs, um, people just think you're the man. You're it. Yeah. You're the man. I don't know what it is, but that's what it was. Uh, my my actual dealer did get busted, and, and some people that I knew close by, they got, um, 
they got um, raided by the police. And and so it was kind of a wake-up call. And one of the first times I decided – I was also snorting all of my profits. You know how that goes, oh, right? Of course. Yeah. So I quit doing coke but kept drinking. And um, fast forward into about the 90s, I moved to Florida and I uh, worked in my – my dad offered me a job at his uh, real estate development company. And I, th- I said, yeah, sure. That, that's great. I was in high tech, by the way. I had gotten into high tech, um, semiconductor industry, working on equipment and um, running a worldwide uh, service group. So I always had good jobs and I was kind of a high functioning uh, person. Right. But there were times when it got real bad. And so I went to, went to Florida and I, things just weren't working out real well. And I, my drinking went out of control and I was also using Coke again. And, um, I was in my bed one morning and I had two, two babies by the way. And, uh, that was the time since I was 15, I had contemplated suicide again. And I actually had a shotgun in my hand and I was ready to, ready to do it. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like joking around. It was like serious. I was going to do this. Nice. I was like super close to it. And I, all I could think about was my poor little kids and the, what the legacy would be, what they would see on the wall and all the terrible things like that that would uh, come as a result of me doing that. Yes. So I stopped and I, I checked myself. I wanted help. And so I checked myself into um, – I think it was called Charter Behavioral Health Systems or something. And I went through treatment. That was the first time I got introduced to AA. And um, that was 1993, I believe. Okay. And it took me until 2001 to finally get it. And it came to a crossroads again in 2001 where um, I like to tell the story of I used to think that the bums were the bums until I was downtown San Jose, California. My daughter was take ballet. She was taking ballet lessons um, and I couldn't make it home. So I had to sleep on the street. And I remember I laid in, in, uh, in this building in front of her ballet studio, looking at that and going like, what, where, what have I come to? And I looked down the street and I saw the bums and I said, oh, they're the bums. And it came to me like, you're a bum. (laughs) (laughs) You're no better than them. Gosh. It was just heart wrenching, man. Like, what have I come to? And I had gotten into uh, crystal meth as well during that period of time. I, the thing is I earned, my problem was I was always very successful in business or, you know, sales or whatever I did. So money wasn't really a problem for me. It was an enabler. And so in 2001, again, with the help of crystal meth, which I was doing for like almost two years, I had a high, I had a high responsible jobs too. And how I wasn't found out, I, I have no idea. But um, uh, my, 
my ex-wife is from Europe, and so my family, we would we used to go to Europe every year, and the kids went over there along with her. I was by myself for a month, and that's, you know, game on, man. Close up the house, get all my drugs, my alcohol, and just go, right? Absolutely. And it got so bad, you know, I, I thought the helicopters were after me. People were knocking on my door that weren't. Um, there were things under my bed. I had bugs crawling in my hair that weren't there. I mean, it was just, un- I, I can't even explain it, uh, how, how bad it was. I was so depressed. Oh, and I remember looking at myself, I was doing the dishes one night, looking at myself in the reflection in the, in the window. And I spit at the window saying, you don't stand for a, for nothing. You're just a fucking loser and you'll always be a fucking loser. And I was, I went out to the garage, I started the car, and I was going to end my life. And I sat there. I thought, you know, it's just going to be better. Everybody will be better off if I'm gone. I just yeah. caused too much pain. Mm-hmm. Too much pain for my, 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 my kids really didn't know about what was going on because I, they were young and I kind of kept it out of the house for the most part. But, you know, I, I just couldn't die fast enough. And when I turned on the car, I thought, you know, maybe a half an hour of that carbon monoxide thing will have hit, right? And all that. Mm-hmm. I had a three-car garage, so I had a lot more space to fill. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked around, <laughs> and I went, fuck, man, this isn't working. But I, I was super depressed, but I remember just looking around, like, thinking, I, did you ever hear the – anybody know about uh, Nick – I think it's uh, – Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. He's a he's a singer, Never super dark, depressing. But I, li- I like him a lot. But he had a song, and one of the <laughs> lyrics was, "I can't even die eloquently." And so that's the way I felt. I can't. I can't even die. I'm such a failure. Shortly thereafter, I believe my higher power stepped in, because again, my kids came to my front of my mind, and I thought, Mark. You cannot do this to your kids. This is horrible. Stop. So I, st- I turned the car off, and it was I was in there half an hour easily. Um, I don't know anything about killing yourself, but thank goodness it didn't work. And um, <clears throat> I decided to get get serious about sobriety, and I my ex-wife had come back. You know, a few days later, I said, you know, I've been having some real, real problems and um, I'm going to get sober. And she said, oh, bull, I've heard that before. And Mm -hmm. I was, (laughs) I was super serious, though. I just knew, you know, when you know. Yeah. I I was done talking about stuff and I had gone to AA meetings. And and the one thing I'll say about AA or NA, you know, that saying that we're going to love you until you love yourself. Yeah. Man, was it true for me? Because there was a guy in there. His name's Tony. He was this Mexican guy, tattooed all over the place. I always love the, the the dudes that are like rough and, you know, from from the joint. Oh yeah, and I get along with those guys, and I I don't judge. And and um, so Tony would come up to me. He goes, "How much?" Every single time I was at them at a meeting, he go, "How much clean time you got?" I'd go, 
I got none, Tony. He'd give me a hug. He'd go, it's all right, Mark. Keep coming back, man. Love you, brother. Mm. And Tony, because of Tony, I kept coming. And I would, I would be high. I'd go to meetings. Um, but finally, it was that August 11th day. I went to a men's meeting. It was a Saturday morning. If I re- I'm pretty sure Saturday morning. I tried to overdose because I said, I'm either going to die or I'm going to get sober. I was okay if I died. I was. And so I downed everything I had and came to the meeting just, you know, there's a, there was a doctor there, uh, Dr. J, uh, Dr. C, Jerry. And I, I, I took everything I could to stand up and announce myself you know, hi, I'm Mark. I'm an alcoholic. And I sat down, put my head down on my, cause I was, I was wrecked. Yeah. I, I literally felt like I should be in a hospital, but I, I knew I needed to get to a meeting. And I said to God, I used to have the deals with God that went, God, if you get me out of this, I promise, I swear to, I swear I won't do whatever it is again. And this time it was God, if you see fit, to allow me to live, I commit to living my life in a different manner, a better manner, pretty much one that's going to glorify you without saying that, right? Right. So sat back down at the meeting. I was crying, hysterically crying. Guys put their, their, their hands on my back. Dr. C., one, he, he, he was nice and took me to his office. He drove me to his office. He said, you need to be seen. And he examined me and gave me, you know, IVs and all kinds of stuff. And he examined my liver. And he goes, how tall are you? I said, I'm six foot two. He goes, oh, really? I thought you were a seven foot tall man. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, well, your liver is inflamed to the, it's as big as a seven foot tall man. Would be. Oh. <laughs> and you know, at, what do we, you know, what do we say at first? Oh, about that. You, you know, what our first thought is. No, what is it? It's, it's like, oh, bull, you're just, you're, you're lying to me. Oh. That's bull. <laughs> I, I'd be thinking, I'd be thinking, really? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thinking that's some kind of compliment. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Bigger's big better. <laughs> sick. Yeah. So anyway, I I decided like you know, Mark, this is what you do all the time. You don't believe people. Maybe it's time. To just shut the fuck up and believe somebody for once. Yep. He's a doctor, and from that day on, I like to tell people, you know, I. I I don't dip. I didn't dip my toes in the water. I dove all in, man. Service commitment steps, 390 meetings in 390 days, not 90 meetings in 90 days. It it was just everything sobriety. So that's my story from the standpoint of um, what happened and then me getting sober. And since I've been sober, my life has been incredible. 
I was on a pink cloud for the first 90 days, I'd say, maybe even six months. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that feeling. And I think it's the uh, it's most awesome time. feeling you can have, isn't it? Yes. And a lot of people don't like that. They go, oh, you're just on a pink cloud. It's like, <laughs> awesome. You're on a pink cloud, man. Enjoy that. Absolutely. Absolutely. What an unbelievable story. And it's not surprising at all that you have the life that you have today because you should be dead. Right. Yeah. A, f- a few times over, if it wasn't from all the drugs you took, um, then it would have been from the suicide attempts that should have worked, but they didn't because you have a purpose. You have a, you have a purpose and you've got a, a brand new podcast coming out where you're going to be interviewing guys like I interview guys, guys who have battled with this disease of addiction, like um, just picturing a dragon and a tiger fighting in in the forest. You know, um, it's brutal. It's 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 a vacuous existence where, at the end of it all, we all end up in the same place. How do I die? Because my existence here on this earth no longer serves me or anyone else, uh, just the opposite. Um, and so, so having this story and then having this life that you are, you're going to get, you're going to get an opportunity to know what it's like to be in my seat and get to hear such a gut wrenching, brutal story of addiction, uh, with a guy who's got an amazing life, you know, and, and know that it was all because of recovery that you live the life that you do today. It's just absolutely a miracle, man. I, I, I love this. Beautiful. It really is. So I'm curious, though. There's a couple of things because uh, the story moves. Um, the one that really gets me is you being there in the street, across the street from the daughter's ballet. Um, you know, there's not too many times where I can have a conversation with someone and I go back in time and I think about when my daughter was born and I was a complete you. I was absolutely a disaster. I wanted to die. I prayed for the same thing. I asked God to please take me out of this world. Either get me clean, get me clean or help me get clean or just take me out because she doesn't deserve this. My daughter did not deserve to have me as a father. Um, and so um, I'd like to know how old your daughter was at the time um, and if she saw you out there. My daughter at the time, I believe, was, my math is terrible, 16 minus 28. What is that? Oh, <laughs> 16 12? minus 28. <laughs> You mean 28 minus 16? Yeah, yeah. See, I, I told you I'm dumber than a box of rocks. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I don't see that at all, but <laughs> you can claim it all you want. <laughs> so I think she was 12, and uh, fortunately, it was early in the morning around, I, I guess, 3 a.m. Okay, so you this is you just knew you were across from her ballet class, but it wasn't during the day. It was just, you recognize where you were. Right. Yeah. You know, through the double vision and, and just, you know, laying down and all of a sudden it just hit me. You are in front of your daughter's ballet. And you're a bum. (laughs) And I'm a bum. Oh, just these horrible, 
horrible, just aha moments that we have in our own addiction. Yeah, we have them in our recovery, which are fantastic. The pink cloud that you talk about, I rode that for a long time. Same like you, just like you, um, I had a, a nice five-month pink cloud moment. And, uh, you know, those are, those are the things that kind of keep you, they, they, that's that springboard, the jumpstart into recovery. Uh, once you start peeling layers back, it gets a little more challenging and a little more emotional. Yes. It definitely gets more emotional. You have to, you have to go deep, um, get in there and, and really look at, at what the underlying issues were. But yeah, you, 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 uh, you ride that pink cloud as, as long as you can, but and you have these aha moments in recovery, but some of us have had them throughout our addiction, and we just couldn't grasp onto it. That was a god shot, you know. You know, being in a in a in a, in a garage trying to kill myself and going, "Gosh, I'm I'm doing something wrong here." <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of dying, <laughs> right? You know, it's just. And so, how long? Now, you say your ex wife. At the time when you were trying to kill yourself, were you married at the time? Was she your ex-wife at the time? What was the deal with that? I was married at the time. I got divorced in 2004. Okay. Um, And so, yes, she was my wife at the time. And she had put up with a lot of stuff. Of course. Uh, You know, I mean, I wasn't wasn't a good person. And, um, you know, I made my my, uh, amends to her and, you know... Some of it has been accepted and some of it hasn't, but, you know, that, but uh, she's a good, good woman and, um, went through a lot, you know, a lot of nights where she didn't know where I was, um, calls in the middle of, uh, three in the morning of, I'm going to kill myself. And I was, I'm driving to the Golden Gate Bridge, mm. um, drug you know, induced psychosis. And was, yes. And I seriously was, I, I, you know, and like you said, just be, through the grace of God, you know, I, I'm still alive. How long were you married to her? I was married to her from 1989 through 2004. Okay, all right. This is and this is something that I I I want listeners to listen to because there is um, something that happens um, when we get clean and sober, and what happens is that we start to evolve. Uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but as long as you stay in the program and you do the work, you evolve, you become a different person. And so true. Here's this, here's this woman that was with you all this time. You got clean in 2001. You got divorced in 2004. There was a three year overlap in recovery. What was it that allowed you guys to stay together through the through the addiction that didn't allow you to make it through in your recovery? That's a great question. I would point to the fact that my ex-wife, as great of a person as she, she has a heart of gold. And that's probably one of the problems is that she enabled my behavior yeah. for so long, not just drinking, but you know, I didn't practice the principles in all my affairs at that time. I practiced affairs mm, and yeah. lots of them. Yeah. And I'm not proud of that. But the thing is that what what was happening was she was allowing this behavior and I was okay with the behavior. And I really just kind of wanted out years and years ago. But she was always there. 
<laughs> and so I finally put a line in the sand when I got sober that said, you got, you know, what, what's the, what's the, the term? It goes rigorous honesty. Uh-huh. Yeah. Rigorous honesty. Yeah. I had to be rigorously honest with myself, whether the relationship with her was right for me or not. And I finally came to the conclusion that it was not. And that's when our divorce happened. And you're right. It's a great point you make about growing. We grew apart. She was very much of a mother to me, the mother yes. that I didn't have. She yes. taught me things I didn't know, the mm-hmm. most simplest of things. Like, call people if you're not going to be home for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, dude. <laughs> and, oh, well, I don't have to call anybody. Nobody's nobody owns me. I don't have to call for me. Well, it's just courteous. Yeah. Well, you know, so she she taught me so much, and I give her a lot of credit for that. So yeah, that's the story with my ex wife. So that's it's very interesting, and and the uh, I you know I asked this because there's so much. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the uh, drama triangle or the codependency triangle. No, I haven't. Where you're playing one of three roles mm. in a dysfunctional relationship. You're either the victim, the hero, or the aggressor. And so when you, when one of those people in this dysfunctional triangle makes the change, because she was playing the hero and the victim, um, well, you all, you, you obviously switch roles depending on the situation. Yes. You know good, I mean? good insight. Yes, yeah. we did switch roles. Right. So you switch roles, you know, constantly throughout this whole process. But once one of you gets healthy and breaks from that and no longer is serving in one of those roles, then it just intrinsically starts to dissipate. It starts to uh, separate. And so... You know, it's funny, Mark. You know, you say you've been down to Costa Rica a bunch of times. I'm really looking forward to you coming down and visiting me. Uh, this, your marriage, your life parallels so much to my story. As you were going along, I was like, yep, been there. Yep, been there. Been there. Yep, <laughs> been there. I asked that question because I've been there. You know, right. my wife was enabling me. She was. She would take me to the to the therapist. She would go online and look for medications to try and remedy the addiction. She would try and get me into meetings. You know, she tried. You know, getting me to stop hanging out with my friends. She would remind me that I needed to call. You know, and let her know if I wasn't coming home for dinner. Right? Yeah, and then the 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 the, the reason you don't call, I mean, my excuse is always, well, why would I want to get beat up twice? <laughs> I'm going to get it when I get home. So right. Why, you know, and and what people don't seem to understand and, and dysfunction seeks dysfunction. You guys found each other when you were both dysfunctional and broken. And once you start to repair your wreckage, it behooves them to do the same. Oh, um, how true that is. If be, we don't even want to go into all the dysfunction of how we got together and, you know, all this. So, yeah, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, but, I, you know, what's important to for the listeners is that, you know, I just did an episode last week about codependency. That's the one that, that launched um, Addiction and Codependency. And, you know, the what happens is that, you know, something happens in the evolution of recovery that makes it almost impossible for that relationship 
to, to withstand the test of time because one of you recognizes my ex-wife left me. As I started to change and evolve, the better I got, the actually more she pulled away. Mm. And I, you know, it was like, it, and then, then as I got into recovery and I started to understand what I just explained to you, I was now standing on my own two feet. I didn't need someone to take care of me. I didn't need somebody to enable me. I didn't need somebody to make decisions for me and be my hero. I could right. take care of myself. I was now becoming an independent person, and I think that that's that's part of the 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 degree of separation that happened there. So, um, you know, I I just thought it was very important that in you know as you brought that up that you know our listeners that are out there listening. And are going because you know your your story is the same as mine. We're I was a cocaine junkie. I was one of those guys that foxhole prayers. God, please, I promise I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> you know, 24 hours later, I'm back. You know, going harder than ever. You know, um, and then finally having that moment where it was like, God, you know, you know, I, I can't do this to my kids. You know, I do this. I, I I can't imagine them years from now going, hey, so what does your dad do for a living? My dad died of a drug overdose. You know, right. that was right. like I could see it. And uh, I fought. I fought tooth and nail to, to get sober. And, and I think it's important that, that listeners out there know that, you know, if, if you whatever you're going through, man, you know, your journey is your journey. And you're going to find that most of the time, the people that have have enabled you throughout the course of this your addiction probably won't make it through your recovery and it's and it's uh the longer you hold on to it you know the more painful it becomes for both of you along the way i, I don't know if you agree with that yeah it's really quite quite something going through the journey and um seeing your your life if you look like a drone if you look above your life and uh what's your life pattern look like and you know i don't know for a lot of I can just speak for myself. I talked to somebody recently about I was like the master of quitting things, starting, quitting, starting, quitting. Mm -hmm. And and so that was one of the things. And so when I got married, I, I you know, my being coming from a broken home, I didn't want to my kids to go through that. That was a huge yeah. like deal. Like I don't want my kids to be from a divorced family. Guess what ended up happening? And there's a book by Judith Wallerstein, I think's her name, called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. And I read that. I devoured it. And I was going – I stayed in the marriage a lot longer. But, yeah, the, as far as the – get back to your sobriety point, the, the journey is everybody's journey. And relapsing, of course, nobody recommends it, but sometimes it's necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. It happens more than it does not. That is for sure. Um, so you're married now, correct? Yes, I'm married to a woman. Her name's Carla. She's an amazing individual. We just share, uh, you know, the vibe. The vibe we have is uh, I can't think of a, a better partner for me. She will cut my nuts off, dude, if I... <laughs> Go out drinking. <laughs> you married the same woman I did. My wife's already warned me. She goes, if you go back out and use, don't even tell me. Just come home, grab your shit, and get the fuck out. I don't want to hear it, and I don't want to see you. I'm not some enabling, codependent, crazy person. Yes. 
<laughs> I think we need those types, don't we? <laughs> Two, totally. Healthy boundaries. <laughs> yeah, she's into sports too. We both love sports and we love to travel. Oh, that's fantastic. How long have you been married? Uh, we're, we have an anniversary this Friday, actually. It's 10 years. Um, we got together. I first met her 2003 okay. when I was still married, but just at a conference up in Seattle. And I was being a good boy because I was practicing the principles of all my affairs. Mm-hmm. And um, then uh, she contacted me in 2004 because I had a technology company at the time I had built in Silicon Valley. Okay, um, And her IT staff at her company was just terrible. And so she was, I told her if she ever had a problem, let me know. Um, I thought she was very, very pretty and she's a Navajo. She's a native American. So, um, she got the long dark hair and Mm -hmm. dark skin. It's like, like, Whoa. Yeah. You know? Um, anyway, so we started talking and I went to Europe and, uh, we were text messaging back and forth. Both of us, this was back in the day when text messages cost a lot. And I got our bills were about like fifteen hundred dollars each. What? <laughs> yes, dude. I, got, I know, isn't that crazy? It's, it's ludicrous. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, she, we we really enjoy each other's company and um, a good a good ma- a good match for me. Um, okay, so then so then from that moment, right? So you guys have been together for ten years. When did the idea of this podcast come into, I mean, it's a, obviously you're about to, it's, it's a brand new podcast that's about to launch, but what was it that inspired you? You know, you've, you now you've got, you know, uh, 15 years clean, almost 16 years. You've been married for almost 10 years. Now you're about to celebrate an amazing anniversary. Life is amazing. You're obviously doing very well. Uh, in the real estate business. So what is it that you know is inspiring you now to launch this podcast? The reason that I wanted to start the podcast, I've always had a, a desire to help people my whole life. In fact, I was the, I was the guy that would, st- would stand up for the, um, the overweight person that got made fun of in school. I beat the shit out of them. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. And so I've always had this, I don't know where it came from. Maybe it was from my mother, but I've always had this very sensitive side to me and the desire to help people was there even when I would needed help myself. And somebody told me, you know, you gotta, you gotta get yourself right first before you help anybody else. And I thought that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> So anyway, Carla and I, she's very, very similar to me in that we, we like to do things that benefits others. You know, I've climbed mountains and raised money for hungry children. Like I climbed Mount Rainier, uh, run marathons and raise money for, it, it usually has to do with disadvantaged kids. So when I was about five years into sobriety, I was sponsoring some guys and I remember I was kind of frustrated and I was, I'm, I'm kind of a hard ass. I would say I'm a hard ass when it comes to sponsoring guys. It's like, do you really want this or don't you want this? Because I don't have Old school, to, baby. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I, I really just don't have time to fuck around. Okay. Cause when I, when, when I wanted it, I wanted it. Yeah. Go to any lengths as they say. And so I found that a lot of the guys I had sponsored, didn't really want it. 
and I was, I stopped sponsoring guys. I said, this is bullshit, but I knew that I needed to do something. So I used to do prison ministry and bring the meetings to, you know, the prisons and things like that. I enjoyed it. Some forgotten, forgotten brothers and sisters in prison. Absolutely. And that really wasn't enough either because you can't really develop a relationship. And, but it, it made me feel good. Then we, we had a run where you run in your pajamas and we donated all the money to, to, to kids. It was called the pajama people pizza run. So we've had a, a quite a few different community involved type activities. And I found my, the, the number of meetings that I was going to over the years though was less than it used to be, mm-hmm. but I still have a passion for, for the 12 steps and for AANA, even non 12 step systems and programs out there. It's one does one size doesn't fit all. Correct. So I started just falling in love with podcasts, but before I get to why I did it, and I'm just kind of lead, it's a long story, but the main thing was this, I used to sit in the meetings and I would see successful people that were successful in business, in life. And I never felt like I was going to get there. For an example, I met guys that own businesses that were very successful. And I'm, I'm obviously very into business. And, I, and I've talked to a lot of people in, the, in recovery that don't really believe in themselves that they can be successful. I, I call it like a, a rock star in business and be in sobriety. I also feel like becoming wealthy um, is for some people important. And for those that are in sobriety, it seems like we get tamped, like a tamp down where you're not supposed to be wealthy. You're not supposed to be successful. You're supposed to stay like on the lower rungs of life. Because you're a drug addict and you're an alcoholic or, and you're a gambler and you're overweight and, or whatever. And I, I really don't like that because I say, you know, up from the ashes, yes, you can. And so I wanted to bring a podcast to people that would incorporate, I'll call it the successful side of sobriety, where the focus is more on strength and hope and lighter on the negative experiences, and also tips on motivation, on starting a business, um, finance, investing in real estate, a more holistic view of um, what's out there in sobriety. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that I think that we do... I, I, we, we pigeonhole ourselves sometimes. Um, and I, I, and I don't think it's just recovering addicts. I think there's people in general out there that have limiting beliefs about themselves, uh, just based on how they were raised. Um, and it's important, you know, that's why I started listening to entrepreneur podcasts. That's why I like watching inspirational movies because that's what I want. I want, I want to do the same thing. I want to evolve like the Phoenix rises out of the ashes, you know, um, the same concepts, right. And, and doing the greatest amount of good and affecting the maximum amount of people doing the greatest amount of service. You know what I mean? And, and I, I, I absolutely agree with you a hundred percent. 
Yeah, I know, you know, I know some guys, they, they used to shoot up heroin under a bridge and now they're, you know, multimillionaires. And it's not just all about the money. It's really the money is the, the, the byproduct of, of a goal that's been set and attained. So, you know, there's a lot of like wealth is the new F word. I call it, you know, people are against uh, wealthy people because they're, they're bad people and they make too much money and they take advantage of people and all these things. And I say that's bull. There are plenty of really great people who are wealthy that give back. And, you know, the guy that used to shoot up heroin that now has, you know, juice bars all over the place and um, super successful guy, right? Uh, yes. It's, um, is it the Sunrise or is it? Yes. The, what, yes. The Sunrise Smoothies or something like that? That Yes. Over in, uh, in Southern Cal. Yeah, and his it's uh it's, I forget his name. It's uh Yeah, I'll get his name. Yeah, we're both sitting here like <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. He was uh featured on Rich Roll and what an it, it's an amazing story. A drug addict, heroin IV user in the streets and now hyper successful entrepreneur, hyper successful. His name is Khalil Khalil Rafidi R- Rafti. Yes. Sun Life Organics. There you go. That's the yep. one. Sun Life Organics. Yeah. There, now there's a great story about a guy, and he gives back. You know, he's a and there there are lots of these stories out there. Well, I love what you're doing, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I and I love that you're on my podcast, brother. You know, it's an honor. Thank you. I'm also honored, and I love what you do, man. I don't miss your sh- I don't miss a sh- an episode. I got you dialed in man i got you in my favorites and stitcher and itunes <laughs> google <are>. play <laughs> i hope everybody's taking notes <laughs> <laughs> gotta subscribe man right gotta subscribe <laughs> he's listening i love it i love it all right beautiful all right mark so we're gonna start closing up man the way i like to do that is for the newcomers so i'm gonna ask you five questions about your early recovery and I want you to respond with inspiring answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. Number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? I didn't think I had a problem. And so I believe that my denial was so strong that it wouldn't allow me to see really what was going on and the, and the damage I was causing to myself and other people in my, in my family. Um, my relationships, denial is strong. I, to me, it was like, I'm just a party guy. That's just what I was cut. My, my cloth, I was cut from the cloth of being a party guy. Yep. And I accepted that. I didn't know that I had other, you know, I, I mean, as dumb as it sounds, I really didn't know the power of choice at the time. I thought this was my, my, my destiny. I was a party guy. Man, I got to tell you, dude, every time you say a little bit more about your story, I am right there with you. That was actually my excuse, all right? It was like, this is what I do, right? Like, <laughs> why not? Why? I mean, like, I, I, this is just the choice I'm making. This is, the, this, this is the road. This is my journey. Like, the most ridiculous, asinine, just, <laughs> oh, my God, <laughs> denial, thick, thick as a you know, a, a, a stick of butter, you know what I mean? Dense, man. I love it. I love it. Oh, my God. All right, so then tell us, Mark, when you had your aha moment. Tell us about that point, that spiritual awakening in your recovery 
when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time developed the hope that you could recover? Had a sponsor in the early, and after I got out of uh, rehab, I hated the guy. He was my first sponsor. Somebody said, you got to get a sponsor. And I'm like, what? what? So I picked this guy. He's just some, I usually pick the arrogant, like beat, beat you up kind of people, right? I don't know why. I couldn't pick like a nice guy. So, so he was a douchebag, but <laughs> <laughs> it just gets better. <laughs> but the, and he told me, you know, in all these cliches, I'd go to these meetings and the cliches, it was like, oh my God, I'm so sick of this cliche stuff. And he said, Mark, we're going to, I just want to let you know something. I'm glad you're here, but this program is going to fuck up your drinking for the rest of your life. <laughs> and I didn't quite know what he meant. And I also remember is, what does that mean? Okay, fine, great, see you later. Until I went out again and again and again. And I have, I have, a, I don't know if you can hear this. Oh, I hear it. Those are white chips. <laughs> I, I have more. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you got more white chips than you have the whole collection of actual chips. Yes. I, I used to brag that I have more white chip surrender chips than anybody I know. And oh so God. the aha moment was that, yes, my drinking had been fucked up for the rest of my life. And maybe it's just time to listen to other people. And like with the, when the doctor told me about my liver, it's time to start listening, like put the cotton, what, put the, uh, the, take the sock cotton in the mouth and, and take the cotton yeah. out of your ears and stick it in your mouth. There you go. That one. Oh yeah. And so that's what I did. So that was one of the aha moments was basically just start doing what people say, stop questioning everything. And the magic is supposed to happen and I have faith. So I did. That is fantastic. You know, the thing about somebody who's got 15 years is that you went to old school recovery. You know, I've got, I've got 14 years, so I had the same old assholes that were breaking me down. All right. I mean, you'd come in. I, it's the same shit, man. Right. It, it was, they, they, they'd come in and they'd actually kind of like even have one eyebrow up staring at you as you're walking in the room right you know giving you the you know giving you the once over like hmm yeah like the uh the, the alcohol sniffing police are gonna come yeah. out of the closets and oh yeah. my god and, and and absolutely yeah you know if you're not here if 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 you're not done yet then go back out and give it another shot right okay but don't come in here and waste my fucking time you know, um, but but I'll tell you what, and I know for you and I, it worked, right? Uh, I think I think people have gotten a little bit more sensitive, and I, I even share about this at the meeting sometimes, and I'm like, I could never, ever have a sponsor like that. And I'm like, I guess I was just so desperate. I was so desperate that when I surrendered, when I finally surrendered, and, and my sponsor said, are you willing to go to any length? And I said, yes, then... I didn't even know what that meant, but I, right. whatever came out of your mouth, I was going to do it. And, and you know, guys, it, it worked. I'm here 14 yeah. years later, and so is Mark. So, you know, sometimes old school, it does work. It, it absolutely Yeah, I had a work. guy, one of my other sponsors after, in 2001 when I decided to 
you know, do this for real. Mm-hmm. His name's Blaine. And uh, he says, same kind of thing. You ready to go to any lengths? Yeah, I am, man. I am. All right. Here's the deal. You're going to call me for two weeks without fail at 8 a.m. every single morning for two weeks. If you miss a day, you're going back to day one. If you're one minute late, you're going back to day one. <laughs> dude, dude, dude. He was hardcore. Yeah, and, and you don't even realize what they're doing, right? I you're, it, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's like, it, it's, it's just about knowing what your willingness is. Eight o'clock in the morning, what the fuck is that? You know what I mean? If you can right. do that for two weeks, it means you want this. Then you could go, if you made it to two weeks, now you get to start on step one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fabulous, amazing old school recovery. For me and you, we can appreciate it. I love it. <laughs> All right. So tell us, do you have a favorite book that you, rec- that you would recommend to a newcomer you read in early recovery? Can I? Uh, I like the big book. I, I really love the big book. I do. It's not just the first book that I could think of. I really think it has so much. There's so much in there. Yes, it's old and written in a in an odd manner compared to today's writings. But there are so many nuggets in there that you can get. I mean, I have my books are marked up like crazy with the highlighters and circled. And I love that book. And I still actually read the big book when I need my uh, spiritual fill up because. You know, I leak, so I need a spiritual fill-up. <laughs> I read the big book, and I also read 24 hours, um, keep it simple. Um, you know, those kind of those are my recovery books when I'm in, into recovery. I love it. I love it. All right, so number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? To start my own business. I love it. And when it comes to business, if it comes, to, do you mean business or sobriety? No, I, I'm just saying, what is the best suggestion you've ever received? Blanket statement. So go for it. I'd say to start my own business. Because starting your own business, you're in charge of your destiny. And it it helps you get out of your comfort zone, which if your sobriety is in place and, and right, if it's right side, I don't mean this for you know the first couple of months after getting sober. I'm talking about after a little time because <laughs> I <laughs> right. Um, I got thirty days. I'm starting yeah, my own business. Go start yeah, thanks a lot, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, man. But so that's on the business front. On the sobriety front, uh, I think that my sister Lori um, recommending me that I go into rehab was the best sobriety advice I've ever received because prior to she w- she's very much of a nurturing person she was our mother growing mm, up yeah and she never really confronted me which she sh- probably should have but when she finally told me mark i was in tampa florida at the time you you need to get into rehab you have a problem and cuz i'd call her in the middle of the night and you know uh, coke induced, whatever. Yep. Uh, so that that's the best advice I received received on a sobriety front. I love it. And number five, if you could give a newcomer only one suggestion, what would that be? I would say that don't put your toes in the water of sobriety. The one thing that I know about myself and other addicts and alcoholics or anybody with any addiction that I've ever gotten to know, they all have this common trait which is doing things 
and not finishing them. So when we make a commitment for sobriety, it's a way of life. It's kind of like a diet or it's exercise. It's not a one day thing. It's not a month thing. It's a lifetime thing. And so making the commitment that this is a lifetime journey that's going to get beautiful beyond your wildest imagination and jumping all in, not putting the toes in, doing the steps, all the difficult work, making the amends to people, increasing your network of sobriety, changing things, people, places, and things. And that, that means sometimes you have to leave friends that you love Yes, for your own good. I love it. Absolutely love it. Mark, this has been an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been my honor. Oh, I love your show. And uh, for those that still suffer out there, my prayers are with you. You can do this. Yes, you can. Oh, you know what I forgot to do is, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you, buddy? They can get in touch with me by email. My email address is mark, M-A-R-K, at soaringinsobriety.com. And we have a Facebook page also, Soaring in Sobriety. Feel free to like it and um, you know, message me. Um, I'm available to help whenever I can to people. And I, I try to make myself available. If somebody reaches out to me, um, I'm all over it. And you've got the podcast coming out, Soaring in Sobriety. And I'm going to be uh, a guest on that show coming in here very soon. When are we going to launch this podcast, Mark? The podcast is getting launched August 11th, 2017. And that's my 16-year sobriety birthday. And I'm looking forward to having you on the show as well as we have some other great guests. Um, I'm super excited to bring this to uh, to our community. And I hope I hope everyone likes it, but I'm open for feedback. You know, you know how that goes. Uh huh. I do. Bring it on, baby. <laughs> HP baby too. HP. Nice, nice. Dropping the HP baby. That's what I'm like. HP baby. Sharing helps addicts in recovery. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, pura vida, pura vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.